Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show. Uh, listen, uh, you know, 400 shows is your paper anniversary, 500 shows is your... Silver anniversary, 600 shows is your switchgrass anniversary. <laughs> we have officially entered the fuck it period of F This Movie uh, because we're talking about 2021's Midnight in the Switchgrass, which means I'm joined by the only man I could talk about this movie with, Rob DiCristino. Hey, Rob. All right, so I was going to say something similar because, Patrick, I think this is episode 610. Uh, I believe you're right. I think it sounds about right. Uh, 11 or so illustrious years of F this movie. Um, I've, you know, for those who don't know, I was a listener long before I was a contributor and I'm, and I'm very, very proud of the work that I've done, but I'm also very, very proud to be here on this illustrious day <laughs> when we celebrate midnight in the switchgrass. It's finally here, folks. The show that you've been waiting for is finally here. Once you do a show on antitrust, the only yeah. way to go is switchgrass, baby. Midnight of the switchgrass, by the way, which which has a, a tagline. I'm looking at the poster here um, for Midnight in the Switchgrass. Uh, the tagline, can they stop a serial killer who can't stop himself? <laughs> is that what this movie's now, about? <laughs> now, I know that, you know, Sometimes sometimes taglines are sort of these strange, innocuous, sort of provocative things. But that, yeah, a serial killer doesn't stop. That's the point, right? Like, it's almost like saying, like, can they stop a killer who kills people? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I hope so. That's the premise of the movie, isn't it? But uh, I've seen movies like uh, Bill Lustig's Maniac, where it's all about this serial killer who kind of can't help himself. Like, he doesn't actually want to be doing what he's doing, but he's always so fucked up that he can't stop himself. I don't think that's what Midnight in the Switchgrass is about. I can't wait for you to tell me what Midnight in the Switchgrass is about. <laughs> it's about <laughs> Bruce Willis collecting a million dollars a day. It's about 99 minutes long. Yeah. Yeah. Which, was, by the way, was kind of nice because we're in screener season and every movie clocks in at like 2.12 oh to 2.30. Uh, I'm Anything that's under two hours, I'm just so excited about now. That's the first thing. I'm sitting here and I'm opening up these packages going oh, 210, 235, yep. 2.06. I'm like, come on, folks. Like, yeah. what are we doing here? Every movie is over two hours. Our blockbusters are 240. Our prestige movies are 240. It does, there's no our, distinction anymore. Our Beatles documentaries are eight and a half. <laughs> Jesus. But our Switchgrass, 99, baby. A cool trim 99 minutes and that's why director randall emmett is my mvp for this award season it's hard to pick an mvp for midnight in the switchgrass but i'm gonna do it once we get into it but before we talk about midnight in the switchgrass rob have you seen anything good lately <laughs> well as you mentioned it is screener season uh patrick you and i are lucky enough to be members of critics groups which means we have homework uh, for the next month. Uh, and it's a lot. I've seen a lot. Um, I had some time off of work for the holiday, uh, and I used as much of that time as I could to watch some stuff. Um, I honestly don't know where to start. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, some stuff I wrote about that'll some stuff that'll run next week. Um, I watched some Netflix stuff, uh, The Lost Daughter and Passing, both of which I have reviews up for next week. Um, I guess I'll start with some catch up. Uh, I finally got around to No Time to Die. I'd been waiting uh, to having a chance to see that theatrically. Um, and I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, I love the way that they ended off uh, Craig's run without spoiling anything. I like a definitive ending. Um, I'm a huge Bond guy. I love I love the Bond movies. And I think that this is a interesting experiment. Um, I'd be very curious to see how they pick this up afterwards uh, for the next one. But I also kind of feel like it doesn't matter. And it's nice that we have a nice condensed storyline for Daniel Craig's run. Where does this rank for you in the Craig Bonds? Um, yeah, around this, you and Mike discussed this on the show. It's yeah. around the same the same spot. I have, you know, it's it's for me. I I have such an emotional attachment to Casino Royale, where even though I can understand that Skyfall is probably objectively a better movie, my number one is still Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. Um, I put Sky I put Skyfall second, and this is probably in the in the third ish range. I I do have a soft spot for Quantum of Solace, but I can also recognize that it's not a great movie. <laughs> um, my my soft spot be damned uh so yeah this is this is around the around the around the third ish i would say and, and it did make you and i were texting about this um i did rewatch specter after seeing it and, and and while specter is still not a good movie um i do think it makes it it makes specter a little better yeah i would agree with that uh still not great and and for like two-thirds of specter i was like well this is better than i remember i mean there's a lot of bad stuff in here but yeah. it's not terrible and then boy that whole last third just completely the shits yeah. the bed yeah the things that are wrong with it are still wrong with it but like as a functional movie it's like yeah it's still fine yeah i think i thought it was um, one of the worst bond movies and it's probably not i mean it's easily the worst of the craig bonds no. but i don't know if it's one of the worst bond movies wholesale no it's middle of the pack maybe overall no. i don't i don't i'm not yeah i mean maybe i don't know but uh yeah certainly not my least favorite um what else? <laughs> really, I mean, honestly, it's like there's just so much here. Uh, I saw Titan. We haven't talked about Titan. You saw Titan, right? I did see Titan. Yeah, Titan is a lot. <laughs> it's a trip. Uh, it's a lot. I saw. Let's see. Um, oh, Spencer. I saw Spencer. Have we talked about Spencer? Have you discussed Spencer? On the I show have yet? not because I still have not seen Spencer. You still have not seen Spencer. Okay, good. Well, I won't get too much into it then. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. Um, I thought tonally it was going to be a little bit more intense. Uh, but Case 2, of course, is wonderful. And it's got great costumes and design. And it's it's a wonderful mood. It's a wonderful kind of... It's, it's, a, great, it's a great holiday movie because it's just about being terrified of having dinner with your family. <laughs> Were you a Jackie fan when that came out? I remember I was talking to Adam about this. I think like I watched Jackie probably whatever screener season that was that two years ago. Uh, maybe three. I don't know. Time is irrelevant. Three, maybe it might have been. I don't remember. Maybe that was like my first like screener season. I don't remember, but I remember watching that in like among like four other movies. I I remember very little about it. Okay. I'd have to re I'd have to rewatch it, but um, I I I enjoyed Spencer a lot. I think it's I think it's not perfect. It's not you know the best thing ever, but. Um, you really do get a sense of claustrophobia. You get a sense of the mood and, and the tone and what he's going for, which is that sort of this this woman lived a life that was, in, you know, 
at, at times. I mean, it's almost got a, a, a shining feel to it where where you, you're, you the movie starts and it's already a horror movie. It doesn't do that first act bullshit of like, oh, here's Diana, Princess of Wales. She gets into the family. Everything's good at first. Like the movie begins and she's already having a panic attack. OK, she doesn't want to she doesn't want to be with them. Um, so that, that I think was one of its strengths. It really, it, it, it cuts the, cuts out the bullshit, you know, cuts out the bullshit and keeps itself, um, totally consistent, which I liked a lot. Nice. All right. Um, I watched fucking Belfast. You want to talk about Belfast? <laughs> Did you watch Belfast yet? No. <laughs> I haven't decided if I'm. I haven't decided if I'm going to watch Belfast. I'm going to watch Belfast because I try to watch everything, but uh, there's a lot of stuff I want to see before I see Belfast. Belfast is fine, folks. It's fine. It's it's exactly the movie you think it's going to be. It's a heartwarming story about a boy and his family, and fine, Kenneth Branagh. Like fine, fine. Did it need to be you in black what? and white? Well, what I mean, whatever does. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, there's an argument to be made, like you talked about in your review for passing. There's an argument to be made for passing being in black and white, but yes. I I don't know Pass, if passing passing should be in black and white. Belfast doesn't need to be. Okay. Yeah. No passing, and I think yeah. By the time we hear this, I think my review will probably have run. It will. Yeah. Um, uh, passing. Work, the 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 thing that annoys me about filmmakers who decide to do a, you know black and white academy ratio kind of thing mm-hmm. it actually it actually fits in passing so right. I enjoyed that um, I will I will talk about two movies I watched that went together uh, uh, quite well I think I finally caught up with Wrath of Man okay um, which I think you Adam especially but I think a lot of folks have been have been uh, singing the praises of uh, for a while really I I. It's kind of that whole like, oh, I forgot he could do this. <laughs> I forgot Guy Ritchie knew how to do this. Um, Especially coming off Aladdin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like, where, like he just needed to get it out of his system. Like, he was just like, like I like to imagine Statham called him up. It was like, yo, bruv, like, what the fuck? Why don't you come fucking around here? Make a fucking gangster movie. Um, that was my Jason Statham. It's not, it, was, it was like I was talking to Hobbs? No, Shaw. Yeah. Shaw. Shaw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hobbs and or yeah. Shaw. Dwayne. I can't do um, a rock impression. Otherwise, I, I would. Say, I, I would. Like, we I could play know. the whole conversation out, but it would require <laughs> me to do a rock impression. And other than feeling self-satisfied, I can't do it. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, but uh, if you haven't seen Wrath of Man, it's got this kind of like sort of Rashomani type structure where it sort of continue, you know, goes back and tells the same story from different perspectives. Uh, and that is also the case with Ridley Scott's the last duel. Yeah, baby. Uh, which fucking rules <laughs> uh, that movies. I know I'm not supposed to say that, or I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, or like, I don't know where we are on last duel controversy. I skipped that Twitter controversy. Um, I asked you and Adam, like, should I go back and find out why everybody was mad at Ridley Scott? Um, and, uh, I don't, you know, I didn't go into it. So, um, I really like the last duel a lot. I think Adam driver is great in that movie. I think Damon is good. I know you're not a Damon guy, but no, um, he's great. Boy, in the movie. Oh, boy. Oh boy. Do I fucking love shit eating grin. Ben. This is my favorite Affleck. Like, this is why I was excited for him to be Bruce Wayne. Cause I was like, if, if he's going to be Bruce Wayne and do shit eating playboy Affleck, that I mean, he didn't really end up being able to do that in that movie. But no. like, 
this was what I wanted. When I see, as as, and it turns out he and Damon are co-screenwriters, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay, like I see what we're doing here, Ben. I see you. <laughs> um, oh, he's fucking great. He's so much fun in that movie, and um, I love, I love the structure. I love the the sort of the way that. Uh, without spoiling too much into the way Damon's character is, is, is portrayed in his opening and then how that changes over the course of the, of the retellings um, of the story. You, you saw the last duel as well. What did you think? I thought it was amazing. Um, it's, it's definitely one of my favorite movies of the year. I loved all the performances. I thought Jodie Comer was great. I only knew her from free guy. I've never seen, is it killing Eve that she's on? Okay, so I've never seen an episode of Killing Eve, and I had just seen her in Free Guy, and she didn't make a, a huge impression on me. But I thought she was really spectacular in The Last Duel. I thought Matt Damon was great playing sort of the villain of his own story. Um, mm-hmm. Adam Driver, I thought, did a, has a really tricky performance when you think about how he has to modulate his retelling of the story and her retelling of the story. Uh, they're the differences are kind of minor, but it's, yeah, it's very important distinctions. Um, and yeah, Ben Affleck is, is my MVP of that movie. Cause he's so much fun. He's so hilarious. Oh uh, yeah, no, I thought it was really, really great. You know, Ridley Scott didn't do any favors by saying like the movie bombed because of people, kids and their cell phones. Uh, cause truth be told, the movie was never going to be a huge hit. Like there's just not, a huge audience for this movie. And, you know, Disney never marketed the fact that it's Ben Affleck and Matt Damon's first screenplay since Goodwill Hunting, which you would think they would have really advertised, but they didn't. They kind of buried that. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, I am um, sorry. Good. No. And then, you know, the third co-writer is Nicole Hollif Center, who I just love. I love all of her stuff. Uh, so those three screenwriters alone, coupled with Ridley Scott had this as one of my most anticipated movies of the year. Uh, and it did not disappoint for, we were sort of bemoaning the, the, the runtime of so many of these movies and this movie's two and a half hours and it flies by. It does not feel it's like, no. and that's, and then it needs to be that length to really, you know, to build the, I just, I just, it was, it was that uh, another one of those times where, you know, we're sort of in this, in this period where we're watching a lot of stuff and like, and I, got like half an hour into this i'm like oh like when that first when there's that first pitch change when the, the first chapter ends and yeah. the next one begins you're like oh this is a movie like oh this is a, <laughs> like oh cool like, it's like it's, i think i'm so excited i was like oh this is a movie it's a real movie i was like ringing the bell like, we got one. like i was like yes 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 ridley yes um <laughs> No, and fucking dark, like not not great, and and I can understand people's objections to you know it is about a sexual assault, and yes, and, but I mean you know so is Rashomon, and, and like right. it's, it's that it's that similar vein of storytelling, and and as and you said, Driver is like I haven't gotten to see House of Gucci yet, but like Driver is continuing to to just his 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 the way he modulates performances, the way. He's he's so unreadable and yet always so expressive. Like he always feels like he's in control of himself. He never feels lost in a movie, or at least none of the movies that I've seen him in. Um, and he's always doing something incredibly tricky. And he's got the, to me, he's got the the Jennifer Gardner and Juno performance. He's got the hard one. Like he's got right, the right, right. really really difficult one where it's like, so much of this is going to play on who how you're watching the movie. Like what you know what from what lens you're viewing it how you're viewing him and what he does over the course of the movie is really going to depend, you know, your reaction to it is going to depend on where you, your preconceived notions about him as an actor. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's constantly trying to redefine himself. He's constantly trying to avoid typecasting. Um, and this is, I mean, he's, I just think he's incredible at this. I think everybody, I mean, Damon, like, and I mean, everybody it's, it's, it's such a, it's such a great movie. It's also, it's also going to be my, my favorites of the year. Yeah. 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 Um, sorry. Good. No, go ahead. I, uh, you mentioned killing Eve a minute ago and I wanted to draw <laughs> attention, uh, killing Eve, uh, a show in which one of the, not original creators but at one point phoebe waller bridge was the showrunner yeah um and i was had some phoebe waller bridge flea bag vibes uh when i was taking a look at the neon screener set and watched the worst person in the world um have you gotten to this one yet i think that's on our agenda for tonight after we record so uh the worst person in the world which is norwegian i want to say yeah um and I'm trying to find the credits here uh, <laughs> because the internet. I want to make sure. Um, so can't pronounce any of these names. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joaquim Trier is the director and lead writer. Uh, it is probably going to end up being my favorite movie of the year. Um, That's Renata awesome. Renev. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm really, really sorry to be butchering these these uh, these sort of Icelandic Norwegian names. Sorry about that, everyone. But the worst person in the world is the English translation. It's a neon film. Um, it's just such. I was texting you guys. It's such my bullshit. It's such a. It's an introspective, uh, self-loathing female protagonist who goes through tribulations of life and love and. Um, it's got kind of an energetic editing style to it at times. It's got a little bit of like anomaly vibe, but I, I got such, I'm such a huge Fleabag fan and, um, and I don't mean to draw a direct connection between that, but for folks who enjoy that style, that's the best way. Like I was trying to explain this movie to my mom. Uh, my mom and I both love Fleabag and I was like, I was like, you gotta watch this. It's like Fleabag. It's the same kind of thing. It's this sort of, you know, energy, but it's also got such an incredibly complicated ending that, um, without spoiling anything, it goes into tragedy without getting sort of cloying and getting really like it retains its kind of punk rock edge to it where the character isn't going to go. This cynical character isn't going to go through some kind of um, spectacular change of ethos just, just because of this thing happening to her. It's like she retains the character throughout, but she's adapting. And I just I watched it twice. Like I, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I think it's going to end up being probably my at least in my top three that's awesome Um, and i appreciate you championing it because you know it it ends up on the screener pile and i don't know that i would have pulled it off the pile sooner than later without you kind of speaking up for it so i'm excited to see it now yeah no i hope i hope folks check it out um i don't know exactly how like i said i it's in our little neon screener set um, not exactly sure how folks can check it out, but uh, the English translation is the worst person in the world. Uh, Renata, uh, God, I'm sorry, Renata Rinsav. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead. And I like it. it. I like it. I'm gonna be totally wrong. Uh, she's got a uh, she's got a Rose Leslie mix, mixed with a Dakota Johnson vibe, um, and I uh, enjoyed it quite a bit. Nice. But no, that movie that movie hit me. That was a that was me kind of tearing up and going like, oh, this is it. This is this is my you know, this is the Palm Springs this year. This, this is that movie for me. So uh, I really, really loved it um, a lot. Nice. Uh, 
Do I keep going? <laughs> I mean, you can if you want. We we have to get the to alternative the is talking grass, about midnight in the switchgrass. So <laughs> all right, well then, all right. Uh, let me do a couple more then. Uh, da, 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 I'm looking at my list here. Um, oh oh, you know who makes great smut? Paul Verhoeven. Paul Verhoeven, yeah. Did you watch Benedetta yet? Not yet. That movie's about horny nuns. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> is it good? Is it is it a good movie about horny nuns? I think it's I think it's good. I think it was real good. Okay. Um And and in that you know it just it's it's Paul Verhoeven like it's 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 sexy and trashy and it's about religion and death and people looking at each other when they shouldn't be looking at each other and you know using using religious icons as sex toys and all that kind of stuff. It's good stuff that was like a that was a like i couldn't sleep the other night and i'm like looking through the screeners and i'm going like "Ooh, paul verhoven i didn't realize he put something out this year so i watched that yeah um it's technically i think it comes out this week technically okay it's i mean you know it's in bad taste definitely but you know as as it should be (laughs) (laughs) more importantly it's over two hours yeah, it is over two hours, and it feels it's like I watched it in chunks. I, I I watched like the first hour, and then I watched the next the next hour of it, you okay. know, the next day or something like that. Um, and that was that was good. I definitely recommend folks check it out. But remember that it is Paul Verhoeven, and it's Paul Verhoeven in his European like I don't need to care about Hollywood, so I'm going to make this movie about whatever I want it to be about, right? Uh, kind of thing. So there might be some religious things happening there that religious folks might not enjoy. Last thing I'll talk about is Being the Ricardos. Ah, yes. You watched Being in the Ricardos? I sure did. Or Being the Ricardos, not Being, or being the in the Ricardos. Ricardos. That's fine. What an awful title, by the way. Being the Ricardos? <laughs> what an awful title. It's, it, 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 it is, uh, <laughs> it is it's the first clue that Aaron Sorkin yeah. might fundamentally misunderstand so, his subject look. matter. And I, and I say this every goddamn year. I am an Aaron Sorkin <laughs> apologist. I always want to believe in Aaron Sorkin, but he has gone around the bend. He is he is like, what are we doing? Like, I there's a part of there's a part of this movie where I go, okay, if this is a movie about a week in the production of I Love Lucy in which we get to see the behind the scenes sort of rigmarole and all the political and sociological stuff going on there with like, Oh, well you can't show this on television. You can't do this. And there's gender dynamics and there's the dynamics between Ricky and, and Lucy in the show. And then there's Desi and Lucy in real life and all that. And there's that, all that interplay of the characters, but then it becomes about communism. Yeah. (laughs) And there's all these flashbacks to when Lucy and Desi meet, And it's just like if you had given me a real tight 90, if you had given me a nice like cut out the communism bullshit, cut out the flashbacks and just be like, you know what? This is about Lucy getting control over an episode of her show as her marriage falls apart. You got a movie. But boy, speaking of stretching the runtime and 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 performing for an audience that doesn't care. I mean, man, that that movie got like. What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, I was frustrated by a lot of the movie. I found it to be watchable. 
Um, I think Nicole Kidman gives a good performance, even though I think she's very miscast. It's like Aaron Sorkin sat around for two seconds and said, who has red hair? I know, Nicole who Kidman. Right. Um, because she's not really a comic actress, and I think you maybe needed to cast somebody who's funny. I thought the stuff about her trying to gain control of the show and her being hard on everyone because what matters is what's funny was an interesting idea. But again, Aaron Sorkin is not funny. And every time he tries to write people who are devoted to comedy in this way, it comes across as dishonest because there were so many shades of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip as I watched this movie. Um, I think it's worth seeing just for the performances of uh, Alia Shawkat and J.K. Simmons. For sure. Who plays? I don't remember the actor's name, but he's Fred of Fred and Ethel, and mm -hmm. he gets off a bunch of really funny lines as does Alia Shawkat. Um, well, that's the thing. The thing about it is, is, is Sorkin is sitting there going, "Well, you know, Kidman doesn't need to be funny because I'm funny." Like, he thinks, he thinks, <laughs> oh boy, he thinks of it as like, like I, I know how to write this brassy lady. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I every time there was that back and forth, like between you know lucy drops a one-liner or something like that and i'm like going like oh sorkin is, is is just is just this is masturbatory like this is this is and, and this is that same thing that he's been doing since i guess the social network where it's like i'm gonna take this real life thing that happened i'm gonna sorkinize it i'm gonna put my little you know it's like the west wing which is a show that i love and is very important to me but the the, the strike against the west wing is like this is the idealized version of politics this is right. what it would be like if everybody was actually smart and quick and had the best interest of everybody else in mind. This is the sort of idyllic liberal fantasy, right? He's in his last couple of movies. He keeps doing that where it's like, I'm going to take this real life event and I'm going to, you know, spin it on its sorkin head and I'm going to add my two cents to it. So he thinks, I guarantee you, he sees himself with Lucille Ball and goes, well, she is, you know, she's a dame, right? I know how to write dames. And it's just like, <laughs> it doesn't, it, it doesn't work that way. Like Nicole Kidman can do a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and she's great, and including go to AMC movies because I, <laughs> I, Patrick, I don't know if you know this, but they make movies better. Yeah, no. Listen, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. It's so she crazy. and the but, movie is like the Cliff Notes version of I Love Lucy in terms of like anytime they have to reference the show, it's in the most obvious like. You can have zero pop culture, pop cultural vocabulary, and still recognize the flashback to the grape stomping episode. Or, gosh, we got to have Desi performing a song with his band. Well, how about Babalu? Everything right. is like the most obvious cherry picked "I Love Lucy" reference that they can come up with, instead of demonstrating that like he cares about the show is interested in the show, which I think in interviews he said he's not, I think he even said like, Oh yeah, I didn't watch the show. It's like, well, no, which fucking is like kidding the most Sorkin Sorkin. bullshit ever. Right. Like it's just, I fucking, he drives me nuts. I don't know why he wanted to tell this story. I think that's ultimately my problem with the movie is I can't figure out why he wanted to tell this story. And it's not like, again, I, th I do think there's a 90 minute movie in there. Like, it's just, it doesn't have, it's, it's not doing, like when we get to the end and not to spoil anything, but Lucy is given a standing ovation for something related to a side plot. And you're like, this is the triumph of the film. This is the end <laughs> of the movie. This is the emotional catharsis. Yeah. This is a, 
this is a, a, a side subplot that was last mentioned half an hour ago. Like, what are we, <laughs> what are we doing here? Like, what is this? Uh, it's kind of a mess. It's a big old mess, and and I just ah, ah, it drives me. This is this is. But it's a mess made like, by good people, so well, it's a watchable thing. mess. You've got you've got J.K. Simmons, as you said. You've got Alia Shawkat. Like you've got you've got Javier Bardem. Like you know, it's not like nobody. Oh, we're gonna make an I Love Lucy movie. Aaron Sorkin's gonna write and direct it. Nobody's saying no to that. Like, of course you're gonna do it. Of course you're gonna give your best. As you said, you know, J.K. Simmons is like the emotional core of the movie. Like he's that. He's that. You know, he's the center. He gives the good advice and all that. And 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 that's great. And all those parts of the movie, as you said, are very watchable. But I just, I was just like, what is this? What are we doing here? What is what is all this? Every time it cut back to like, here's how Lucy and Ricky met. Or Ricky, Jesus. Here's how Lucy and Desi met. <laughs> And it's like I don't know. Cut this. I don't care about this. We don't need this. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. You know, just those yeah. very basic things where, you know, again, this is an example of those. You know, this doesn't need to be two hours. Not everything needs to be two hours. Everything needs to be at least two hours. That's how you get your money's worth. Guess. You know, it's not two hours long. Midnight in the switch. Midnight grass. in the switch. <laughs> you know, it's over two hours. Uh, Red Rocket, which is the first movie that I'm going to talk about. Go for it. I've only got a few that I'll talk about because obviously we've done a bunch already. Red Rocket is the latest movie from Sean Baker. It was the closing night festival, uh, closing night film at the Chicago Critics Film Festival, and I wasn't able to go, which was a bummer. So I'm glad that I've been able to catch up with it now because I really liked The Florida Project and I loved Tangerine and I liked, uh, I really liked Starlet. I'm a Sean Baker fan. Uh, and I was really interested in Red Rocket. Red Rocket star Simon Rex of MTV VJ fame uh, as sort of a down-on-his-luck porn star who moves back to Texas to try to get some semblance of a life back together. And his performance is spectacular as a guy who is always... He's, he's very charming. He's seemingly sweet, but everything is sort of a hustle. And it's a hustle that, like, you sometimes feel like he means it, but it's always a hustle. And he's always sort of one step ahead while also being two steps behind where he needs to be. Um, the movie is overly long and repetitive. Uh, it, it's probably, at least upon one viewing, my least favorite Sean Baker film. But I do recommend people see it. There's going to be, of course... Uh, some some discourse when the movie finally comes out because he does start a relationship with a 17-year-old girl in the film. Uh, and just seeing how people are reacting to Licorice Pizza, I can only imagine what's going to happen when Red Rocket actually comes out. Now, you said that Rex, Simon Rex is of MTV VJ fame. Is there anything else I should know that he's done? He was in like a couple of the scary movies, I think. Because I'm looking at the screener right now, and on the back it says, one of the pull quotes is, Simon Rex gives the performance of his career. <laughs> well, I guess he's better than he was in <laughs> Scary Movie 4. Okay. <laughs> this um, is I, one I, of those, I, like, I, this is one of those, like, Tarantino casting things where it's like you find a guy who hasn't done anything for years and years, and then he gives this incredible performance. You're like, where did this guy come from? And you find out, oh, he's... But it'd be like if Pauly Shore all of a sudden gave this incredible performance. You'd be like, holy shit. Um, so technically, this is the performance of his career. But like, and, and again, you know, I'm a huge Sean Baker fan, too. Tangerine, 
88 minutes long. 88 minutes. Right? The Florida Project, maybe a little longer. I think, right? <laughs> I, think I think it Project is. Yeah. Is a little longer. But again, this one, 128 minutes. Yep. Yeah. I was Maybe so not. disheartened when I put it in because I had just shown Tangerine to a class, which I don't recommend, by the way. <laughs> because... <laughs> Do it. <laughs> it had been a while since I saw Tangerine. And I was like, I was trying to, yeah, right. I was like, I was trying to show uh, an example of modern indie cinema. And I was like, well, listen, it's got a lot of representation going on. It was shot on a cell phone. You know, there's all these reasons to show Tangerine. And then like there's <laughs> blowjobs in a car wash and people running around, dicks hanging out. I'm just like, this movie has some sexual content. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> uh, but I just what seen Tangerine it? and I remembered that it was 88 minutes. So when I put Red Rocket yeah. on, I was so disheartened to see that it was over two hours. What did they what did they think of Tangerine? Oh, they don't think anything about anything. I didn't get a response from anyone. Are you kidding? <laughs> the the chronicles of teaching film class are just like, yeah, this is here's this thing that's great. It's like, yeah, I didn't like it. Oh, right, all right. right. Well, I guess I'll I guess I'll just go fuck myself then. Yeah, pretty much. Um I am now I'm more excited now to watch it, um, given given the Sean Baker connection. But yeah, I, uh, uh, you know, I, 100. It, it's com. Is it a straight comedy or is it is it a comedy drama? Um, it's it's uh, oh gosh. To say it's a comedy oversells the comedy. To say it's a comedy drama oversells the drama. It exists somewhere in between. How's that? Fair. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> not helpful. <laughs> uh, what else? Uh, okay, uh, so I saw right. House of Gucci. Come, come on, you got you got to bring it because otherwise we're talking about Midnight in the Switch. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Ridley Scott's other movie, The Gooch. Uh, my beautiful wife Erica was so nice to secure us some babysitting so that we could go to theaters to see House of Gucci because I don't think we're going to get screeners for that. And um. I was very, very excited about this because I've been on a real Ridley Scott kick. I've watched or rewatched probably at least two-thirds of his filmography in the last couple weeks uh, in the lead-up to The Last Duel and House of Gucci. And uh, I thought this one was fantastic as well. I saw somebody online describe it as the godfather if everyone was Fredo. And I feel like that's <laughs> a pretty good description, although I think it undersells the Lady Gaga character. She plays Patrizia Gucci, the wife of Maurizio Gucci. Um, I didn't really know anything about this story. Obviously, it's based on the true story of what happened with the Gucci family in the 1980s through the 90s. And I think, like in The Last Duel, Ridley Scott is very interested in power dynamics, particularly as they pertain to women. And what happens when we perpetually make women feel like outsiders and when we perpetually sideline the voices of women in favor of the voices of men? And House of Gucci is very specific about what happens. Everything goes to shit. Um, which is not to say that Patrizia Gucci is entirely blameless. She ultimately orchestrates a murder uh, and is in prison for doing that. But Prior to that, you know, she had some good ideas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, An equivocation like no other. <laughs> Again, some spectacular performances. Uh, there's a lot of mockery going on on Twitter about the different accents. And I agree, you know, everybody's doing a different version of an Italian accent. <laughs> it didn't bother me. I thought it was really fun. I thought the movie was 
appropriately over the top. And again, not overtly comic, but certainly certainly funny at times. Uh, Lady Gaga is great. Adam Driver, once again, great, giving a very different performance than he gives in The Last Duel. Pacino's a lot of fun. Uh, but the real surprise of the movie for me, Jared Leto, who I went in ready to hate because uh, I have eyes and I hate Jared Leto. Uh, <laughs> but he's really, really good in the movie. He's probably the funniest performance in the movie. Um but also there's a lot of sort of pathos uh, surrounding his character. Uh, he's doing the silliest accent. You know, he's the one that everybody jokes, it's a me, Mario. Uh, and he is definitely doing that that version of an Italian accent, and he's buried under prosthetics. And there's all sorts of stuff that we can point to and say, yeah, 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 fuck Jared Leto. But I think he's really good in the movie. I think the movie is terrific. I really loved it. I want to be clear, everyone. I... I'm 100% Italian, and I approve of everything I'm hearing. <laughs> everything I'm hearing. Make the accents as outlandish as possible. They go do. For it. I want everybody to go for it. I want everybody doing hand gestures. <laughs> I want I want pizza pies. I want some brajol. I want some gabagool. I want everybody to cap it off with a nice limoncello and go home happy because we're at least got rules, and I'm really, really excited to see House of Gucci. I guess I have to go see it. If we're not getting screeners, I guess I have to go see I it. I don't think we are because it's MGM and they don't typically send out screeners. Nah, yeah. Right. I mean, we'll see. I could be wrong, uh, but I don't know. I don't know. Well, that's good. Yeah. I'm really excited to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's super fun. And um, being the Ricardos we talked about. Oh, I guess the last one I'll talk about is Tick, Tick, Boom, the mm. directorial debut of Lin-Manuel Miranda, starring Andrew Garfield as Jonathan Larson, the uh, composer, songwriter, playwright of Rent. Um, and this is sort of about... It's an adaptation of a stage show that he did called Tick, Tick, Boom, which itself is about the failed production of an earlier musical that he tried to put on without any luck. Um, so there's a couple layers deep of what's going on here. Um, tragically, Jonathan Larson died the night before the first staged production of Rent, I believe. Um, he died the night before opening night, basically. Like suddenly it was like a freak medical thing, like an embolism or something. And so he never got to see the success that Rent had. And it's tragic. Um, this is a musical. Andrew Garfield sings a lot. He gives a performance. Uh, it's a, it's He's doing a lot of acting. Um, his singing is most, fine. Most actor. He, he, he maybe should be awarded most actor. Um it's Lin-Manuel Miranda acquits himself well as a director. Uh, the movie didn't do much for me. It's an interesting story, I guess. Um, Vanessa Hudgens is in it, which is a, is a good thing, but is given almost nothing to do. She's basically there because she can sing a couple of songs. She's not given a part to play. Almost no one is given a part to play with the exception of Andrew Garfield and maybe two of his friends, his... His, his uh, former roommate. Yeah, his former roommate right. and his girlfriend, basically. Yeah, more or less. So you saw it. I did. What did you think of it? 
I am in your camp. Okay. Um, I, 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 I also, and, and this, and this is not, I don't, I don't think this kind of musical is for me. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that the sort of prosaic kind of lyric writing where it's just sort of, I've got a journal entry and I'm going to yeah, yeah, yeah. read it out over a beat is not, that's not to me. That's just, this is not my thing. Um, I think Andrew Garfield's a good actor. Um, like I said, I, I was telling you guys, I, I you know, he's he's he wins for most actor. That's although right. I haven't, yeah. I haven't I haven't seen House of Gucci yet, so I don't know. But he's he's, he's he, <laughs> a you know, <Gooch>. crit- <laughs> critics often, you know, off, we all you know we often confuse most for best, right? So <laughs> you know, most production design often wins right. best production design. Most cinematography often wins, and it's not always the case. Uh, so a clear distinction between most actor and best actor uh, here. Um, I, this is not for me. It's just not, it's just not, I I got about half hour into it and I was like, yeah, you know what? This isn't going to be my thing. I finished it. Um, I know that this is a a person and a story uh, that's very important to a lot of people. Um, I, you know, Bradley Whitford, Bradley Whitford, who is an actor. I really enjoy again. Back to Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. Uh, back to Aaron Sorkin is in there playing Steven Sondheim. If I'm not wrong, right? You are not wrong, and I and watched it just, like a day or two before he passed away. Yeah, and we just lost Stephen Sondheim. So obviously, I have a lot of I have a lot of respect for the creatives here, um, but no, the movie is not for me. It's not. It's not. Not. It's not. That I don't like musicals. I just don't like this. This is just not my my genre. This is not my subgenre. So. I think yeah. the 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 musical itself, and this I, I guess would be a criticism more of the musical Tick Tick Boom than of the movie adaptation of said musical. For me, shoots itself in the foot a little bit because the best song is the first song, yeah, and then everything else after that is like I couldn't really. Well, is this the the turning turning thirty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought that was the best song in the show, and then everything oh, sure. else after that is like kind of forgettable. Um, I, I mean, I thought the, the sequence where he reenacts the argument, yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. I've seen it before, you know, those are those little flourishes that pop up every now and again and where you're like, and it's so hard. And again, going back to Sorkin where it's like writing for the stage and writing for the screen are very, very different. And it's the rare writer slash director slash performer that can really excel at both. And that can really mold the two, you know, that can really find that balance between the two. And this movie, I think gets caught up between stage and screen a little bit purposely, obviously, because that's part of the framing device of the movie. Right. But I also feel like it kind of gets lost a little bit when it's trying to do too much. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're sort of on the same page and that it's not really for us, but it is on Netflix. If you're interested in seeing it, a lot of people are loving the shit out of it. And so I would not dissuade anyone from checking it out. Uh, Shit, Rob. You know what time it is? Oh, is it? Hold on, wait. No, it was it was eleven fifty eight just just a minute ago. <laughs> uh, we've been talking, so I'm not. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, it's, baby, it's midnight. It's midnight in that switch grass. Now, you and I are, um, men of taste, <laughs> <laughs> perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> Some would disagree. Some would disagree with us. <laughs> Listen to our Tusk podcast. Listen to our uh, uh, Josie and the Pussycats podcast. Listen <laughs> listen to our uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, right. Um, 
Hannibal. What? Speaking of Ridley Scott. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's let's. You know what? Twitter, back off because <laughs> that movie is a glorious mess. I agree. Um, oh, these fucking people. These kids. See, I understand why Ridley Scott's so angry at the kids because <laughs> they don't get him. Um, what 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 has driven us to this place? What, why are we? You know, it's some. Sometimes you know, a man has to, and a woman, and, a, and everybody in between has to has to has to take a look at their lives and say, what? How did I get here? What what is what has brought me to this moment? What brought us to this moment? It it began as a joke um, when we were Googling, like, Bruce Willis movies (laughs) during a podcast. I don't remember which podcast it was. Uh, Uh, It had to be 2021. Dogma, maybe? It could have been Dogma. I don't know. Um, I could go back and look around what time it was because if I look at my letterboxed, I can see the day that I went to a red box and rented like four movies <laughs> based right. on our conversation on the podcast. Yes. And then it just became this running joke about midnight in the switchgrass. And then when it came time to do another episode, I proposed like, well, Rob, we could do this movie or this, mo- this real movie or this real movie or this real movie or midnight in the switchgrass. <laughs> <laughs> and I, of course, immediately because again, <laughs> I am a man of taste. I am a man of, of esteem, some esteem. Uh, when, when a person invites you to the switchgrass. Yeah, that's right. How many times can we say switchgrass over what, the course of I, this? What is switchgrass? I, I'm not familiar with the expression switchgrass. It's the long grass, right, where the velociraptors live? Sure. Are there velociraptors that, I, in this movie? Well, you don't go into the long grass. I assume that they're there, but we didn't see them because the film could not afford to show them. <laughs> Better movie. <laughs> Midnight of the Switchgrass paying... plus it Velociraptors. Too... It was too busy paying Bruce Willis to sit in a diner booth. We get two big diner scenes with Bruno, my man. Uh, the first one, as you pointed out, uh, he's clearly not shooting on the same day and is shooting opposite <laughs> Megan Fox's stand in. If anyone, I'm not, I can't say for sure that Megan Fox's stand in is there. I don't think there's anyone there. <laughs> as I, as I said to you guys, he, Bruce Willis in this movie essentially, essentially carries the film the way Carrie Fisher carried the rise of Skywalker. <laughs> In which it's this ghoulish reappropriation of footage in which there is no context for her performance. <laughs> it's like Bowfinger. Bruce Willis just didn't even know that they were making a movie and they just inserted him into Midnight in the Switchgrass. He's, he's, I, I, I genuinely imagine him coming in after lunch and saying, like, look, you've got me for an hour. Yeah. I'm just gonna give you I'm just gonna give you some stuff. I'm just gonna give you some wine. You know, like like he's just like because every one of his lines is like I always believed in you, kid. Or like, <laughs> told you not to do that. Or, you know, you're really driving me crazy. And he's just—I just imagine him. He's like, maybe he's got a little. He's got something. He's got a piece of paper. It's like it's like the Godfather. He's got a piece of paper taped to Megan Fox's stand-in's face. And he's just—he's just—he's just got a series of lines. And it's just like I don't know. We'll cut it together later. We 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 really. We're running behind here. One of our lights is broken. We've only got Bruce for another 35 minutes. We really need to get some stuff in the can. Just just give him some lines. Just give him some stuff to say. Because there is absolutely no context for the Bruce Willis. I said to you guys over text, There is this movie wastes their two days with Bruce Willis yeah. like almost no other of these DTV movies 
ever has. I've seen most of these Bruce Willis movies, and not one of them wastes him like this movie does. Like Midnight in the Switchgrass does? He, he, he at one point leaves the film. <laughs> oh, for a long time. He gets, he gets fed up with Megan Fox, and he's like, I'm going home. He leaves. But then he shows up in the hospital room at the end. Spoilers, I guess, for Midnight in the Switchgrass. We should talk about what this movie's about. Um, Bruno and Megan Fox play FBI agents who are tracking a serial killer who can't stop himself, uh, played by Lucas Haas of uh, Lady in White and uh, Brick fame. Um, Yeah. Bruno leaves at one point, and so Megan Fox teams up with Emile Hirsch, who has a mustache, to prove to you that he's a big boy. He is a big fancy boy. Don't you forget it. <laughs> he got... is a. It's like it's like Dewey and Scream. He's like when I'm wearing the badge, you treat me like a man of the law. <laughs> it's not Emile Hirsch's fault that he looks like a twelve-year-old boy, but when he grows the mustache to remind you that he's not a twelve-year-old boy, all you could do is say that looks like a twelve-year-old boy with a mustache. <laughs> To be clear, again, as you said, this is not Emil Hirsch slander. We like, I mean, I like Emil Hirsch. I do too. He's, he's a good actor. He, he is speed racer. He is a good, we like him. Yeah. I, I enjoy Emil Hirsch, but he is a little boy. <laughs> it's, uh, listen, this is Midnight got, in the Switchgrass. My my six-year-old has a little fake tin badge, like like a little, <laughs> a little police. And that's what Emil Hirsch is walking around in, in this movie. Um, let me tell you a dark fucking day in my life. It was the day <laughs> that I went to Letterboxd to log Midnight in the Switchgrass, and those two little arrows underneath pop up <laughs> to remind you that this is the second time, at least, <laughs> that you've logged Midnight in the Switchgrass because it's a movie before. you've fucking seen. You went back to the Redbox, and I could have rented this on Amazon, you know, I didn't have to leave the comfort of my house. It's a cold November in Chicago, but I was like, if you're going to go see Lawrence of Arabia, you got to go see it in 70 millimeter. If you're going to watch Midnight in the Switchgrass, you have to get that shit from a red box. (laughs) Get it from a fucking red box like a grown up. So twice I've rented this goddamn movie from a red box. Twice I've logged it on my letterbox. There's so many good movies I still haven't seen, but Midnight in the Switchgrass has taken up uh, over three hours of my life. Two times. Yep. Did you know that Sistine Stallone plays the memorable Heather in the film? I did know that. Who's Heather? Heather is the first. Heather is the girl that is in the in the in the garage, right? He's the first girl that he captured that, that we see him checking in on over the course of the film, right? Okay. He's the like girl he's got tied up in the on the in the in the in the thing in the in the garage, I guess, in the in the sh- in the in the shack, whatever he's wherever he keeps his victims. There's a girl. I'm almost positive it's Heather because it's the that's the mom that Emil Hirsch goes to see, right? Is Heather's mom? I thought the, I thought the mom that that girl's dead. That's the girl that they found that they she's a blonde. Oh, yes, they find right. her laying in the switchgrass. Then I don't know who Heather is. But I don't a, either. But I saw Sistine Stallone. I was like, is that Stallone's daughter? Who did she play? Yes. I thought about going back to watch it a third time to find out who she played, but I decided against it. But you thought better of it. Because... <laughs> the day I rented this movie the first time. Uh, I also rented another Megan Fox movie called Till Death, 
which is now yes. available on Netflix. And I actually recommend Till Death. I think people should see it, especially on Netflix, because there's no risk um, where she plays a woman handcuffed to her dead husband. And I think that movie has a pretty fun ability to sort of top itself, to keep finding new ways to say, like, well, what's another scrape she can get into? What's an, how do we How do we escalate this uh, predicament? And it does it in a pretty fun way. I actually thought Till Death was pretty good. Midnight in the Switchgrass, the, less so. The Gerald's Game type? Like, yeah, um, kind of. Yeah. To a bed, yeah. yeah. So I was reading because one of the one of the <clears throat> sort of talking points I had for this, because um, I did a lot of preparation for this, uh, 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 lots of lots and lots of research. Um, I was thinking about the Megan Fox of it all. I'm kind of thinking about. Yeah, we should talk about that. Um, you know, and I don't I don't want to speak for you. You and I, I don't I think I don't think are as big fans of Jennifer's body as a lot of folks are. Uh, I, yeah, that's. I think that's fair. Again, to say. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to speak for you. I, I. I don't. I don't see the movie that a lot of people see. I. I. I want to. I, I. I've seen that movie a couple times now. I really. I. I. Also understand. You know that that she's 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 been through the ringer as a young beautiful actress in Hollywood and all that. Um. I. I don't know. I don't know where I am on Megan Fox. I do you have a, a strong opinion one way or another? I, I, I'm in this place where not having seen till death yet, I, I don't know that I'm, I don't know that I have a firm hand on her, what her actual range is. I know what she's been asked to do. Right. Um, right. I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily know what her skill set is quite yet. Yeah. I, I know she's, you know, she's been in the popular consciousness for like 15 years now. You know, I still don't really know where where I'm at with her. I've seen her be good in movies um, because I think she's well cast. And I would say that's true of something like Jennifer's Body, which is a movie I think is like okay to decent. Um, I don't love it the way the internet loves it, like you. Uh, but I think she's good in that movie. And I think Karn Kusama was very smart in the way that she uses Megan Fox in particular in that movie. So I think she's very well cast in that movie, which isn't always the same as being great in a movie. Um, I don't know what her range is. And I was watching Midnight in the Switchgrass in particular this time, really thinking about Megan Fox and sort of what happened to her, because we're living through a little bit of sort of a Megan Fox renaissance with the cultural reappraisal of Jennifer's body She's got kind of a big, you know, DTV run with this until death. And she was in that terrible vampire movie on Netflix. Um, shit. What was that called? I saw it. It's called and I, Night Teeth. Night Teeth. It's called yes. Night Teeth. She has one scene in that movie. So I don't know how much I can hang, uh, you know, on her in that movie. She's got this very public relationship with Machine Gun Kelly, who, by the way, is in Midnight in the Switchgrass. And we'll get there. We um, will talk about MGK. <laughs> so I can't figure out why she was, for some reason, never quite taken seriously as an actor and i don't know if it's like was it that she's too beautiful i don't know because i don't think there are many actresses who have careers who are not beautiful so obviously degrees of beautiful are incredibly subjective was it that she was 
sexualized at such an early age by Michael Bay in the Transformers movies where the camera just sort of ogles her legs and butt and body, her lips, you know, um, I know she had a bad experience on those movies and, and spoke out about it and perhaps was sort of blacklisted for that. But for some reason, even in Jennifer's body, which was pre blacklisting, I would argue, People were like, I don't buy it. I'm not going to go see a Megan Fox movie as though we can't possibly take her seriously as an actor. And I don't understand why that happened with her and hasn't happened with a dozen other young actresses, her, you know, her, her sort of peers. And you want, you know, I mean, obviously, and again, there are so many things going on behind the scenes that we'll never know. And we can't presume to talk about, like, in terms of her career and what her goals were versus what her representation was telling her versus what opportunities she was given, all those things, how an actor gets pigeonholed, how they're forced into a role that maybe they don't want to be in, all those things, how they're meant to manage their image. It's it's completely impossible. And as you said, so much of it has to do with being a woman. So much of it has to do with being beautiful. So much has to do with being overly sexualized. She's also been as you said one of the worst things a woman can do in hollywood is open her damn mouth so right, that's a problem right, for a lot of people right. you know she has this she had this very public relationship with brian austin green for a long time where she talked a lot about her you know sexual trauma and the things that happened because she was dating somebody so much older than her from such a young age and all those things and you know i do feel like it's it's and that's why i hesitate to say like oh you know i don't really get her or i don't because really, it's not that so much of it is just like I've seen what you've been asked to do. I have no idea what you can do. Um, and there is that undercurrent of screen presence. You know, like Adam and I were talking recently on a reserve seating about like actors who just hold a frame and, and it's not just, it's not just looks, you know what I mean? It's not, it's right. And it's not, right. it's not just charisma. It's right. just like, there are people who can hold a frame. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like the camera just goes to them. And and I do think, you know, despite what she's being asked to do and, and a lot of glossier things, I do think she has that, you know, I, and I do think she's due for a, you know, you might say a, a Kristen Stewart-esque, you know, run of indies or something where she can kind of take her image back. You know, I would really, I would love to see her do that because while I don't think Midnight in the Switchgrass is a particular <laughs> showcase, showcase of her talent in any way, um, she does seem to be one of those, like, like one of Hollywood's broken children, like somebody who the machine just sort of ran over um, and, 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 and maybe hasn't had the opportunity that she could have had, you know, were X, Y, Z, not the case, you know? And so I'm, I just, I just, I don't know. It's that thing where I just, you want to, and that's, I, I wrote something similar about Amelia Clark when I was writing about whatever goddamn Netflix Redbox movie she made where she was playing. Like, oh yeah. I remember, remember, remember that, movie that article. Like, I don't remember the movie like, name. Uh, it was a white, she was sort of like a white trash yeah. kind of like, oh, and she got involved with an FBI guy. And like, and that was right after the, that, the, the Christmas movie she did had come out. And I'm like, all right, you know what? We've all seen her as Daenerys Targaryen and we all have this idea in our head of who she is, but there is so much underneath that, that there is more that she can do. And I hope she gets the opportunity kind of in the same place that Megan Fox right now. I'm kind of like, all right, you know what? She's got the cultural cachet back right now. We're in, as you said, we're kind of in this like. I don't know she and 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 Travis Barker and and Machine Gun Kelly and uh, which Kardashian is it Chloe? Um, I never I never get this right. Okay, hold um, on. <laughs> Kim is the Kim is with the Pete the proto Kardashian. She's with Pete Davidson. She's the proto Kardashian. Then it's there's Chloe. then there's Courtney right? and Who Chloe. Is, 
right? Chloe is the one who Travis Barker is marrying, right? I will I take think... your word for it. I think you're okay. right. I confuse Chloe and Courtney because and I don't know To be clear, I'm a huge Travis Barker fan. I'm a huge Blink-182 fan. I, Travis Barker's one of my favorite musicians. He's one of my favorite people in the world. That dude's got an incredible story. If you don't know about his plane crash and all the things that he went through in his life, he's a, he's a great dude. I wish him all the happiest in the world. But he and Machine Gun Kelly, and, and they all seem to be in this weird like thruple thing <laughs> happening. Like I'm not really sure what's going on there. Um, but there's some sort of weird thing happening, but I, I, and which is none of my business. But what I'm what I'm saying is like it feels like right now is like the, like Megan Fox should strike while the iron is hot. I sure. Think there's, I, I think there's something there for her. You know, she should she should she should she should she should do something. I don't know. She should get a Netflix show or something. Well, and I'm even fine with her becoming the queen of the red box. If she wants to be the female Nicolas Cage, like more power to her. Um, and that seemed to be maybe where her career was going. Cause I hadn't seen her in anything for a while. And then all of a sudden you could go to a red box and rent one of, you know, three different Megan Fox movies. And I'm totally fine with that work as much as you want to work. Um, but hopefully she finds movies, you know, like till death that gives her an opportunity to do more than something like midnight in the switchgrass gives her an opportunity to do. She's not bad in the movie. She's just not asked to do anything. She's certainly more dialed in than Bruno is. But I think about even when somebody, you know, uh, when a respectable filmmaker like Judd Apatow gives her an opportunity to do something in This Is 40, it's ultimately like, uh, Leslie Mann, grab her boobs because I want to have this masturbation fantasy about my wife grabbing Megan Fox's boobs. And she's once again cast as the hot girl. And it's nice to see her getting to play something other than the hot girl in these Redbox movies, even if they're not great movies. Um, at least she's maybe starting to take control of the kinds of roles that she gets to play. That's what the, uh, what the hell, uh, the Olivia Wilde part in Richard Jewell, right? Oh, Jesus. Where she's just like, <laughs> you're just like, okay, well, I've got this beautiful actress here. Uh, yeah, she's a reporter with, uh, questionable morals. And the thing <laughs> is that she sleeps with dudes to get stories. It's like, all right, like. This is what we're asking this person to do. Like, right. this is this is what we're at. You know, just like, what are we doing here, Clint? Well, that has everything to do with Clint Eastwood's views on the media as much as it does with his views on women. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They really railroaded him. <laughs> the guy got railroaded. <laughs> Richard Jewell let's, got railroaded? Let's, let's just, you, just wanted, you know what? He and Sully and and the guy with the chicken from... from <laughs> <laughs> cry macho cry macho the most memorable title macho. of the year is let me ask you is cry macho going on top 10 lists this year you think are we are we crying macho it's gonna show up on somebody's top 10 hell yeah and that somebody is adam <laughs> um, <laughs> i love you adam um I love Adam's Adam's thing about how that that movie is just about whether or not he's gonna need to take a take a nap to get to the next scene. Because <laughs> that movie is about a series of naps. It it's really great. is. And not a and not a movie I dislike either. But it's just one of those things where no, I'm like, oh, I see, I see you, Clint. <laughs> all right, so let's talk about the Bruce Willis of it all. Okay. If you are. Uh, director Randall Emmett making your directorial debut and you're working with screenwriter Alan Horsnail as we all know 
as we all know, also making, I believe, his screenwriting debut. This is I'm his looking. first. Is, he's got a series. This of, is his He's first. got a trilogy of movies called Fortress. He's got all Fortress, with Bruno, also starring Bruce yeah, Willis. and Chad Michael Murray, and he's got Fortress, Fortress Two and Three, according to IMDb, all in production. Yeah. Um, Fortress should be Dude. out, I think, this month. Dude, Fortress 2 and 3 both due for release in 2022. Sure. Um, and you are, you're making this movie. And and I'm trying to find a through line here. I, and is, is, I don't know, the through line is, is, is it Lionsgate? Because, but Lionsgate's a distributor, right? So that's yeah. not the, that's not necessarily the production. Um, are we just, is, is Bruce just filling his schedule? Is it just, is he going from set to set? Like asking for work? Like what, what, what compels one? Is it just, is it just, this is good for the poster to, to put, to put Bruno in this movie? Because, oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, I mean, and it'll help is, foreign is Meg- sales. You know, he's one of these guys that if you have him in your movie, you can raise X amount of dollars, particularly in foreign sales, because He's big overseas still. Um, I'm so sure it helps. To, I'm sure it helps sh- domestically too. But I think you know, in America, maybe we've got Bruno's number a little bit more than they do overseas. I, which is not to say anything negative about overseas. I just know he's a bigger draw overseas than he is in America these days. Got it. So it really is just Megan Fox, not enough of a name. Emil Hirsch, not enough of a name. Which is insane. We can. We can right. We can give Bruno two scenes in which I mean he is, I mean he is like uh, slurring his words in this in this <laughs> like I mean he is not. I was really I mean, conscious of how many times he appears in the frame with Megan Fox, which is not many. No, not many. You could probably count it on like two hands how many times there's they're the actually scene, sharing the, a frame. The scene he meet they meet Emil Hirsch's character like they walk up to the house they walk up to the crime scene. The two of them are together, and then Bruce Willis's only other two scenes are the hospital at the end yeah. and the diner. Yeah, and he's—I mean, he's—I mean, I think right. He's got—I think three scenes. He's got, or no, well, he's I'm got sorry. two he's diner also, scenes. He's—he's he's got two diners, and he's got the the uh, him he's, in the car. He's at the stakeout at the beginning of the, the movie. Stakeout. Yeah. Right. While Megan Fox goes inside, when which he's just talking to himself or a PA or something like that. Right. Yeah. Right. So this the, the time the time in which he actually spends with any of his co-stars is is limited and and probably probably purposeful. That scene, um, by the way, we'll get back to Bruce Willis in just a second. But that scene where they walk up to the crime scene is bananas because everyone's just freaking out, and I don't totally understand why. It's like a weird jurisdictional pissing contest, but. Again, there's no real explanation for it or context for it. It's just everyone's mad at everyone else all of a sudden. And it's like, and it's like Emil Hirsch's character is, I think, Florida State Police, and he's asking the FBI, like, "Hey, if you need my help, call me" or something like that. Like, it's that, yeah, it's that strange sort of cop drama thing you see where it's like, "This is my crime scene." No, it's my <laughs> crime scene. Not anymore, slick. Like, and Michael Beach, who's, who's really a really sure. good actor, uh, is completely wasted in this movie in fewer scenes than oh, yeah. Bruce Willis gets. I, I would have loved to have seen him you know, take the Bruce Willis part and just give Bruce Willis, you could have saved a couple million dollars. Just give Bruce Willis, have him and Michael Beach he's switch playing, roles. He, he's playing the, like, you're off this case. Right. Like, exactly. He's yeah. The chief, right. Yeah, he's got, yeah. he's the, he's the, you know, 
he's he's the big well, he's not he's not uh he's not the chief right he's a detective but you know he's sort of the big black uh uh actor chief archetype right where it's you know his one case, bit of character weird. business is he doesn't like his wife because <laughs> yeah. that's midnight in the switchgrass uh a movie by the way starring uh alec monopoly uh, a street artist whose real name is Alec Andon. I'm just looking at IMDb here. His oh, okay. name is Alec Monopoly. He plays <laughs> suspects. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think that I think the the the, the Bruno of it all. Um, Bruno, by the way, a, a great American actor. I don't know if you're familiar with a film called Hudson Hawk. Now wait um, a second. Uh, I don't know if you've ever. I've ever I've caught, the excitement. I've caught a lot of things in my life. I've caught colds. I've caught sure. baseballs. I'm just kidding about that yeah, part. Pop, I've never caught a baseball in my pop life. Flies. Uh, pop flies, yeah. I'm not going to lie to you, the F This Movie audience, and pretend that I've caught a ball in my <laughs> life ever. Um, I remember once around 1991, I caught some excitement, and I've yeah. never been able to, to shake it. To shake it? Well, because it's the kind of excitement that you catch, and then... It, it, it doesn't leave you. You know, it makes you drop the baseballs. It, it, it lays you out with colds. You catch a little bit of that Hudson Hawk excitement and you're never the same. It is heartbreaking, though, to watch something like Hudson Hawk, which, while a vanity project, features Bruce Willis like he's singing and he's dancing and he's acting up a storm and he's being silly and he's writing the story for the movie. And then you cut ahead to Midnight in the Switchgrass 30 years later and it's like uh, they reanimated his corpse and propped it up Weekend at Bernie's style. <laughs> this is Hudson Hawk is, is a teacher uh, uh, during their first period class. And uh, Midnight in the Switchgrass is during last period class. <laughs> it's just like, I have lost all enthusiasm for this. This day has broken me. You are on your own. <laughs> but, like, the question becomes, and I know that we're not the only ones to ask this question, and nor is it the first time we've asked this question, but why do it? It's not like he loves working. Does he just have, like, tax problems? Does he? Does he have, like... I mean, I just you just have to ask yourself why put yourself through this. Well, you know, he gets lumped in all the time with Nicolas Cage. Uh, and, you know, my feelings about Nicolas Cage. I've never heard them once in my life. No? Okay. Well, <laughs> Nicolas Cage happens to be my favorite actor. And he is a guy who does have tax problems. And, and he is a guy who loves to work. So he makes a lot of movies. Um, and they're not all great. But I would argue he's rarely bad in them. Uh, even the ones, you know, people accuse him of sleepwalking through shit. I don't think I've ever seen him sleepwalk through a movie, even something like left behind where he's cast, you know, you know that he's paying off some of his tax problems in a movie like sure. left behind where it's like, you play a pilot who's maybe going to cheat on his wife and therefore, uh, will not survive the rapture that's coming for us all. Uh, Nicholas Cage, it's sort of his most boring part, and yet he like does what's asked of him in this movie. You know, it probably should have gone to somebody like John Corbett. Uh, that's for you, Adam. Uh, somebody with maybe a larger like Christian movie following, but for whatever reason, or they're maybe, like maybe like an Alec Monopoly, <laughs> perhaps. Because truth be told. 
we do suspect some things of this pilot in Left Behind. And when you want somebody who's suspicious, you go to the guy known for playing a suspect, and that's Alec Monopoly. He's a suspicious man. He's a man <laughs> about whom we have questions. Yeah. And sometimes a role and an actor, there's just a synergy there that cannot be denied. In the words of Ben Affleck in Goodwill Hunting, you're suspect, <laughs> Alec Monopoly. Yeah, you. <laughs> um, Keep your nose to the grinder. No, um, <laughs> again, retainer. Cannot record that's that's the energy he brings to the last duel. When when Adam Driver opens the door and he's like, "Come on in, take your pants off." <laughs> Did you listen to the Ridley Scott uh, Mark Marin interview? No, no, I have not yet. Is it any good? It's very much worth listening to. I mean, he talks a little bit okay. about his art background and he loves all of his movies. And I just love every time Mark Marin brings up another movie, Ridley Scott's like, "Great fucking movie." Um, <laughs> But he talks about those orgy scenes and how important they are to what happens in the last duel, and I thought that was really fascinating. Oh yeah, good they are. They're they're incredible. That whole oh, God, we should just we want to just talk about the last duel. <laughs> There's no switchgrass in the last duel. It is a well, it is a, a film point. barren of switchgrass. And also, I didn't see Alec Monopoly anywhere in that. Film. <laughs> um, but it, back to your original point about about Cage is that he's always making a choice. Like, you know, whether you think that works for the movie or right. whether, you know, he's always he's always making a choice is, is maybe it, you don't think it matches the movie or whatever. But I I mean, I don't see any choices being made by Bruce Willis, except for the choice of what if there was a guy? Know, what if there was a guy? You know, what if what if I what if I was in the scene? <laughs> That's basically the choice he makes. You could absolutely cut his scenes and the movie would not be any worse for them. They would have a little bit less star power. And I guess there's some information passed about Megan Fox's background. Right. Am I remembering this correctly? I mean, I've seen of, the movie you, twice. You could easily give that, those scenes to anyone else. Yeah. Emil Hirsch could probably it's, do the same stuff. Yeah, it's not as if we, it's not as if we demonstrate, I mean, Megan Fox and Emil Hirsch have a scene where they commiserate at a bar right, together. Right. right? Like right. you could, you could do it then. You don't need Bruce Willis in this movie. Um, but I, you know, again, I mean, I understand. I'm not, you know, not naive to all of this. I understand, but I just, I got to imagine there's somebody in the in the production offices going like, we are bending over backwards to get him in this movie, and I don't know if anybody wants him there, if yeah. he wants to be there, if, if if what we're gaining from this. I just, I mean, I'm looking at the damn poster, and he takes up two thirds of it, and Megan Fox, who is the star of this film, 100%. is in the corner. Emil Hirsch is nowhere to be found. And Not he grew on the poster. <laughs> he grew a mustache. <laughs> and he's doing some acting. He's he's playing he a character. You know, we are, uh, we are, we're giving we're giving him a hard time, but he is he's good in the movie. He does he does what he can. He has a wife who doesn't want him to be doing what he's doing. He's got a baby. Right. That is like some of my least favorite shit in any cop movie is just the the wife who's worried. Uh, and she's, of course, played by Jackie Cruz from Orange is the New Black. Um, there's a lot going on in Midnight in the Switchgrass is my point. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the second half of the movie where Megan Fox gets captured and just becomes it becomes a little bit. Uh, it's not torture porn, but it's like, uh I don't know what well, you would call it, wants, it in the back half of the it movie. Wants to, it wants to do the whole pathology of the killer Silence of the Lambs thing, but it's like we have not 
interrogated this person at all. We right. have no, you know, there's no reason to do that. There's no. Well, he's a serial just, killer who can't stop himself. I think that's what we problem, know about Lucas Haas. And that's one of the things about the movie is, you know, in the switchgrass, there is that sort of imperative of, you know, if there is a serial killer in the switchgrass <laughs> with you, two questions you have to ask yourself, you know, can he stop himself? Can he, can, you know, and, and the other one is, can you stop him? And that's the, the, the basic question that we're answering with this film, um, a 2021 film, which I, 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 I believe will be uh, uh, awarded at, at the Oscars this year. Well, it's um, certainly going to show up on our top tens. And it's certainly going to do wonders for Alec Monopoly. Um, <laughs> it's going to open a, a lot of doors, a lot of suspect I roles. Tell you, when I when I clicked on his Wikipedia page and saw a picture of a man who, instead of having a monocle, uh, looks like he's in a Safdie Brothers film, I, I was I was really bummed out. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I click it on. I'll tell you what, folks. You, got, you there's a lot of things you could do with your time on the internet. Clicking the Alec Monopoly Wikipedia page is not one of the better ones. <laughs> he's he uh, he was on a show called Lopez. That's sure. his, uh, uh, another uh, credit, which was the George Lopez talk show, I want to say. Do I have In that the right? First, I, I mean, I'm going to assume that you are correct. The first. <laughs> and he played, uh, I'm sorry, he, <laughs> he, he did play himself as an audience member on America's Next Top Model. The first paragraph of his Wikipedia page, which is two paragraphs long. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only on his IMDb page, which has no photograph. It ends with the sentence, Monopoly's work has been purchased by <laughs> Iggy Azalea, Adrian Brody, Snoop Dogg, Seth Rogen. What are we, what are we talking a, about? He is a street artist. Oh, uh, that's right. Um, and a suspect. His claim, his claim to fame. Well, see, the thing about it is if you look on Wikipedia, I don't know what it says on IMDb, but if you, if you look on Wikipedia, his credit is split. He is the suspect, but he is also known as the tall man. Oh. Now, so uh, he is suspected of being a tall man. Sure. You know who's not suspected of being a tall man is Emile Hirsch. <laughs> no one suspects. A, if, he, if he were in the switchgrass, you would lose him in the switchgrass. Has anybody seen Emile? <laughs> he he wandered out guy. into the switchgrass an hour ago. It's time for lunch. <laughs> we need to find Emile. Anybody Again, see like a, a mustache good... moving around in the switchgrass? That mustache <laughs> belongs actor. to Emile Hirsch. Emile, if you're listening, you're a good actor. By the way, we people like might people involved with the making of this movie may listen to this podcast because there are no other podcasts devoted to Midnight in the Switchgrass. <laughs> the, the Google alert pops up in their in their inbox, like, ooh, what's this? So let it be said, everyone involved with Midnight in the Switchgrass, if you're listening. <laughs> Yeah. With the exception of Bruce Willis, did their jobs? Yeah, yeah. Like, we are not we are not besmirching any anyone in particular here. No, this is not a this is not a, this is more this is more talking and thinking about Midnight in the Switchgrass than even the creators of Midnight in the Switchgrass <laughs> did. But I don't. Mm. I wouldn't even classify this as a bad movie. I just think no, it's it's it's. it's Redbox filler. It's Redbox filler. It's content. It's it's ninety nine minutes long. Uh, Emile Hirsch is giving a performance. Megan Fox is doing her best. I I think we can sort of blame Bruce Willis for sucking up more of the budget than he should have. Um, 
but the fact that it drew four big names, because I would include Lucas Haas in that. Um, and then you have, you know, recognizable actors like Jackie Cruz and Michael Beach. Like there is talent that was attracted to this movie, presumably for more than just a paycheck, because you know that once Bruno got involved, you know, everybody had to take a pay cut. Oh, and fucking Machine Gun Kelly. I forgot. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to Machine Gun Kelly yet. Let's get to him. What do you think of him in this movie? I think he smelled bad, probably. <laughs> you might be right. <laughs> that's a, that's he seems like a guy who might smell bad. He seems like maybe he smelled bad. But Cigarettes enough, and apparently, BO. to draw the attention of one Megan Fox. So what do Stay, I know? Listen, cigarettes, B.O., and fucking pheromones. Yeah, seriously. What a what a what a what 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 children what children they will make. So I'm looking at Bruno's uh 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 work yeah. of the last year and a half. That is a are you like on IMDb cuz that's gonna, uh, that is yeah. an insane page when you look at like announced in production. Yeah. Uh it's bananas how many credits he has. And between Adam and I, I mean, we've written about a fair number of these, which is just yeah, amazing. yeah. I have seen, I have seen First Kill, I have seen Extraction, I have seen Vice, I have seen Airstrike. I haven't seen any of these, by the way. Review. Oh yeah, I remember that. I've one. seen Trauma Center. I reviewed that movie. I've seen Survive the Night. I think I reviewed that. I've seen Hard Kill. I've seen Breach. I've seen Out of Death. I came very close to renting Out of Death today when I returned Midnight in the Switchgrass, but then I remembered your sage advice, don't see Out of Death. Don't see Out of (laughs) Death. Um, And now, of course, I've seen Midnight in the Switchgrass. And if you gave Bruce this list of films, do you think he could tell you which ones he was in? (laughs) We should generate just a fake list of titles that sound like Out of Death. It's like the it's like the Jalo film title generator totally. you know, that, that floats around during October. Like this is the Bruce Willis movie title generator. And you just ask him, like, <laughs> which ones of these have you been in? Have you seen these? Listen, he's the one laughing. He gets a million dollars a day. Oh, I listen. I'm the I'm I'm the chump here. I am not. He's he's got it figured out. I'm not. You know him and Machine Gun Kelly and Monopoly Jones or whatever. <laughs> Monopoly <laughs> Jones, I believe. <laughs> Who paints uh, the Monopoly Man? Did you know that? If you go to his website, he paints Does he his Are street art. His, oh, I was. <laughs> his, <laughs> his street art consists of painting the Monopoly Man like he's uh, Banksy or something. All right. So his his uh, Google search when you search Alec Monopoly, one of the the first uh, after the ads, the first thing that comes up is the name of his his site, and on either side to the left or right of his name, which is in all caps are dollar signs. Hey now. So you know that he is serious. And yeah, you're right. He he has art that is from what I can tell clicking it, through quickly. It has been purchased entirely. by Iggy Azalea. So he so Iggy Azalea has a pair of these and Monopoly Man. She's trunks. so fancy. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> One of the things that I know about Iggy Azalea. I know so few things she, about her, but she's so fancy. She is fancy. Yeah. And apparently, so was Alec Monopoly. Right? But you have Ooh. street artist Alec Monopoly agreeing to show up in Midnight in the Switchgrass. You have sure. Sistine Stallone agreeing to show up. 
in Midnight in the Switchgrass. Like a lot of people are drawn to Midnight in the Switchgrass. What did everybody just get paid lots of money? Did everyone think this was going to be the next seven? What was it it that that drew everyone to Midnight in the Switchgrass? It was the Velociraptors. They thought this was a Jurassic (laughs) Park sequel. But that fucking that fucking Nicole Kidman commercial for AMC, (laughs) it pisses me off every time that the first movie they show her watching is Jurassic World. World. Not even Jurassic Park. They go Jurassic World. Go fuck yourselves, AMC. Nicole has never seen Jurassic World. She's far too. So I'm looking at the production companies here. I'm looking at the involved parties. Um, and I know Bolt, Bolt, Bond, Bondelt, Bondelt Media Capital is one that pops up in a number of these Bruno movies. Love their work. Um, media, one of my of these, favorite media capital yeah, companies. One of your favorite LLCs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of your favorite media, media capital. And he and Hard Kill and, and, and Midnight in the Switchgrass and all that, they are, they are, a, they are a, a sort of a... Uh, 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 a schlock kind of direct-to-video sort of Ponzi scheme. Apparently. <laughs> um, but I can't, I can't seem to. I mean, it, so many, so much of this is just write off, write off, write off, right? I mean, there's, there's got to be some, uh, you know, what there, there's that, there's that whole thing with Canadian can exploitation films that from a certain period that were just the like tax shelter tax movies, shel- yeah. tax shelter movies. Yeah. Like, is that what's going on here? Is, is, is this, is this the legacy of Golden Globus? Like this, the, 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 the legacy of the sort of direct-to-video, you know, genre masters, the, the, the kinds of movies that, you know, would have filled up the walls of my grandfather's video store in the late 80s, like just Midnight in the Switchgrass from, from wall to wall, like and and is that is that where we're at now? Is it is it Marvel movies or Bolt Media Capital? Is that what, is that our option? Yes. I mean, short answer. <laughs> the, the depressing <laughs> short answer is yes. But again, yes. I do feel like People showed up to Midnight in the Switchgrass trying to make the best movie they could make, with the exception of Bruce Willis, who, it should be said, is playing a character named Carl. And the reason I know that, besides having his IMDb page open right now, is because Megan Fox says Carl every time she says a line directed at him. Almost as though the filmmakers are trying to convince us that they're in a room together. As if to wake him up. (laughs) The way that you tell us that she's really talking to Bruce Willis is to have her keep saying her, his character's name. Well, because so much of their interplay really is, is, is dependent on that sort of burning chemistry between them. You know, it's that, it's that real, you know, it's, it's again to bring back, you know, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the will and Sean of, of goodwill hunting. It's, it's, it's to bring us back to Damon. You suspect. Yeah. You, (laughs) Uh, Jeez, yeah, Bruce, they Willis, have. You know, Willis gives that great speech at the end. Was, you know, one day, one day, Megan, I'm going to come to your house. And you're not going to be there. <laughs> you're the toughest son of a bitch I've ever known. <laughs> oh my god! Is what he tells her, and then we fade out. Because because these are two characters you understand who know each other. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We want that established that these two people uh know each other. Not only are they They've met. partners, right? <laughs> they are familiar with each other. <laughs> they are acquainted. Yeah, Carl and uh, Rebecca. Yeah, Megan Fox's character. They have Rebecca the kind Lombardi. of relationship you can only have when you've talked to each other before. 
recalls recalls the relationship that Bruce shared with his co-star in Out of Death. Uh, <laughs> you're, talking about, uh, you're talking uh, about you're talking about Jamie King, there, Jamie right? King. Yeah, Jamie King. Remember yes, when she was yes. going by James? James, yes, yes, James King. Hmm. James, which is okay. Never mind. Wait, I got that wrong. All right, so <laughs> Out of Death. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Is that the movie we're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> if they called this movie out of death, would any of us have been confused? Patrick, I saw Zola. You want to, you want to talk about Zola? <laughs> I do. Zola's a good movie. You, you know what's fun about Zola? Zola was cool. Zola, Zola was like a, has a star-making performance. Yes, it does, which has probably reminded me because Taylor Page is a name that's not even close to Jamie King. I don't know why I thought this was more similar. <laughs> but for some reason... Um, Zola, Zola has fun. has Taylor Page giving a star making performance, and Riley Keough giving a and performance, Riley... uh, wherein she didn't know they were making a movie. <laughs> yeah, Riley Keough is is, is <laughs> playing is playing someone we've all met. Uh, Riley Zola. Keough had no idea there were cameras rolling. This is just no, who I think no. Riley Keough is. Had no clue at all. Yeah, no. Taylor Page, uh, wonderful. A movie that I was like, very, I. It was that I, I said before we started recording, like it was that whole like Spring Breakers kind of yeah. uh, good good time kind of scumbum energy where I'm like, I, it took me a couple minutes to get into the movie. I'm like, oh, OK, wait, this is going to be the cadence of the film. This is going to be what this film is. And, and there are parts of it that were like a little bit too much for me where I kind of had to be like, ooh, I I'm going to fast forward a little. Um, <laughs> but but um, I would argue two was... two star making performances, actually, because I think Coleman Domingo kind of comes out of that movie, a star. He's the, the, the pimp, for lack of a better word. And he's been in other oh, God, stuff oh, before. Uh, and I've seen, he was in Candyman this year. He was in Lincoln. He was in Selma. I mean, he's been in stuff. But I would say, at least personally, that, that Zola was the first movie that really made me say, like, holy shit, who is that? Who's the, who's the tall, the tall, the boyfriend guy? The, 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 the guy from the, the Sky High guy? Is that Sky High guy? Okay. Nicholas yeah. Braun. Nice. Who Again, apparently is like also he... on Succession, but I've never watched Succession. I, I tried. I, I, I I'm sure it's great. Not 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 criticizing it, but I gave up. Um, yeah, Quay's a good good scumbum. Good yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. good kind of clueless kind of white trashy kind of scumbum dude. Yeah. What else we got here? What else did I watch? <laughs> Midnight in the Switchgrass Midnight though. In the, the thing switchgrass. about Midnight in the Switchgrass is Emil Hirsch is an adult. So he is a man who has passed the sort of the adolescent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's passed. Yeah. And, and we, were, we were all there for The Girl Next Door. The Girl Next Door, which also stars What's-Her-Face. I was convinced when I saw The Girl Next Door that it was a really great teen movie. Uh, I saw like a sneak preview back in whatever the fuck, like 2003, 2004. 2007. 2007? Oh, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm looking at the wrong one. I, I clicked. I made the mistake that I shouldn't have made, which is that I clicked on the first Google result. Oh, yeah. No. 2004. OK. Yeah. Um, saw sneak preview was convinced. Girl Next Door. Terrific teen comedy. Watched it again a couple years later. I was like, oh, this movie is some bullshit. <laughs> this oh, it, doesn't, movie. it doesn't hold up because I have the same memory as no. you, do, which is like, oh, that was, that was a sneakily good movie. No, 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 no. No, no, it's it's some uh, it's some but it's some bullshit. The point is, is that Emil Hirsch yeah, yeah, yeah. S- stars in the film, um, a film that was released and 
presumably made sometime before 2004, mm-hmm. which indicates that he was alive and therefore aged to the point where in Midnight in the Switchgrass, he is presumably an adult man. He's a grown-up. He is a a grown man. He is actually older than I am. <laughs> 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 he is slightly older than I am. Yeah, boy, I... he's had a long career, actually, now that I realize The Girl Next Door was 2004. And he also, he plays, uh, he's in he's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood playing the uh, uh, hairdresser man. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I can't remember his name either. I can't remember his name either, but Sharon Tate's first husband. Right. Um, quite good in that movie, right? A lot of fun. Jay Sebring, sorry. Jay sorry. Sebring, thank you. Yeah. Jay Sebring. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, uh, good in... in, in uh, He's been good in lots good? of movies. Is he? Yeah. I mean, I, Speed Racer, I, I like. Into the Wild, a book I used to teach and had to stop teaching because I can't stand it. Um, <laughs> he was good in The Dangerous Lives of Alter Boys, which I think he made even before The Girl Next Door. I was, I was, I was going to say that was an early one, right? Yeah. I was very – okay. So, uh, And then I don't remember if Alpha Dog is good. It is not is uh, for my money. movie, right? Okay. But you know what he's fucking great in is um, Killer Joe. Oh, my God. Oh, jeez. I forgot about Killer Joe. Yeah. I mean, everybody's great in that movie, but he's really terrific in that movie playing just a complete fuck up. So what we're doing here is making fun of (laughs) (laughs) an actor we like. An actor we like. Doing his best in a movie that is not horrible. Also recognizing that he is doing his level best in an okay uh, red box filler movie. So right. Emil, we, we, we are we are fans. Yeah. If you if you if you talk to Machine Gun, um if you talk to Monopoly Jones <laughs> what's his name? Alec Monopoly. Alec Monopoly. Monopoly Jones. I suspect like a, like he's like gonna have a big dog. future. I suspect He's gonna he's gonna rise up tall. He's a tall, a tall man. Did I mention I mentioned that we're in our fuck it period, right? At the top I of the show. This was a really successful <laughs> podcast, Patrick. I think this is a really good episode. Did you know that RogerEbert.com awarded Midnight in the Switchgrass half a star? That seems too low. That seems I'd go a star I'd and a half, I think. I would. This is a star and a half for sure. If I'm yeah. not, I'm not, a, I'm not a, I'm not a half star guy. I would say maybe two stars. I would round up because, again, Emil Hirsch, an actor we like. Yeah. And so few, so few precious films. I mean, I, again, I'm sitting here looking at a stack of award screeners, prestige films, great directors. So few of them star someone like Alec Monopoly. Um, <laughs> no, not one of them. So I think I think that awarding Midnight in the Switchgrass half a star is kind of punching down at an easy target. I really don't think that's fair. We, you and I, have seen far more incompetent films than Midnight. I mean, in you've the you've seen a lot of the. I've seen, <laughs> I, I've seen worse movies this week. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But I'll but you've seen a lot of uh, of Bruce Willis's DTV work. Yes. This has to be better than a lot of them, right? Uh, so I will, let's see. I'm just going to go real quick. All right. 
So yeah. I saw him in Out of Death. Now, he has a part in Out of Death. It's not a great part, but he does. He is asked to carry part of the movie. So I will say Out of Death is better than Midnight. In, he is better in Out of Death than he is in Midnight in the Switchgrass. I would say that Out of Death is a worse movie, but I would say that he is better in that movie than he is in Midnight in the Switchgrass. Breach, which I saw him in, he has a very, very small role. Um, I know he's... I remember one of his scenes being kind of compelling, like he was kind of awake, so I wouldn't necessarily say that, that was bad. So two, two movies right there, I would say he's arguably better in than Midnight in the Switchgrass. But the movies themselves... The movies themselves are not better. Okay. Breach is a worse movie. If we're going to play the game, you know, better or worse than Midnight in the Switchgrass. Which is the only game I'm interested in. Out of Death is worse. From now on. Breach, Breach is worse. Survive the Night is worse. Trauma Center is worse, although that's another Midnight in the Switchgrass situation where uh, Nikki Whelan is the star of Trauma Center. She carries the movie where uh, Willis has, I think, two scenes where I think it's the same deal where he's like sitting next to her hospital bed and is mostly off screen. Um, that might be a better movie because at least it's more interesting, but he's worse in it because he doesn't have as much to do. Nikki Whelan plays the flight attendant that uh, Nicolas Cage might be sleeping with in oh, Left Behind. Oh God, we've brought it all back. <laughs> together she's also in another um, nicholas cage movie called oh my gosh it's the one with gina gershon where she like wants to oh my god this is upsetting hold on <laughs> while you think oh shit how can i not think of the name you. of this movie it's got like a one-word title um I'm, 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 I'm it's right called wow she makes a lot of movies <laughs> inconceivable <laughs> yeah oh yeah that's another cage not movie gonna do it not <laughs> how, do, how do you make your movie how do you call your movie inconceivable seriously because it's about a couple that can't conceive it's not really is it of course it is is it actually? <laughs> of course it is. That's exactly what it's about. They spent four seconds thinking of that title before they started oh. writing the movie. And they're like, that's that a was, movie. That was, yeah, that was backwards engineered. All right. Airstrike. Last one I'll do. Airstrike. So Airstrike, Adam and I wrote a column about this, sort of, because we just had to react to it. Airstrike is a film uh, in which untranslated, uh, uh, I think, Japanese, uh, or, or I think, I believe, Mandarin uh, script is 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 translated literally into English, and Bruce did no work to add context or cadence to it, uh, to sort of colloquialize it, make it like, well, nobody really talks like this. This is a bad translation. Let me change it to something that actual English-speaking human being would say. Um, he does not do that. He reads his lines as given, and then he goes home. Um, Airstrike, a hilariously incompetent movie that Adam and I had a lot of fun watching some years ago. I would say that that movie is more interesting than Midnight in the Switchgrass, but Bruce is not any better in it. This has been my TED Talk. <laughs> We've talked a lot about Midnight in the Switchgrass, and we didn't even talk about Lucas Haas. Oh, yeah. What do you want to say about Lucas Haas? Nothing. He's asked to play a creepy serial killer, and he's fine. He is in this movie. He is in this movie. And again, in a movie that doesn't require somebody of his particular star power... Uh, so he's giving this more than maybe there is on the page. 
Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a cliche, the guy who has a happy family life and then has a murder shed in his backyard. Uh, like you do. Right. Like you do out. You have to walk across the switchgrass to get there. Right. So, so. The, Which is you, where they invoke building... the title. Cause his daughter says something about, uh, I saw somebody, uh, running through the switchgrass. Approximately. 12, I don't remember what time one. it was. Yeah, his daughter's pretty young. I don't know if she Something can tell time. She's like a real that. fucking dum dum. But yeah, <laughs> she's a child. Uh, but when you are building a murder shed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Relative placement to the switchgrass is really important. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, and again, this movie does that thing that that you know it it makes Megan Fox its lead. It puts her in a position of power, and then. Strips her of all that power and puts her in need of rescue. By little boy, <laughs> Emil Hirsch. A little, you can't do that to it. He's out late. He's got school in the morning. He can't be rescuing you from the murder shed. But if you give him all the chocolate milk he can drink, he will <laughs> save you from the murder shed. Monopoly Jones. <laughs> This movie has an official website. Did you know that? Did you know? <laughs> That's the first thing they did was build the website. There is a uh, there's a nice picture of Emil with his mustache. Nice. He's a good looking man. He's a well, I shouldn't say that because he is a minor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> get in trouble for saying stuff like that. <laughs> Why are we picking on Emil Hirsch? <laughs> I don't know. Because we need something else to do. <laughs> We're talking about midnight in the switchgrass. Megan Fox is also in a Lionsgate film called Rogue. Are you familiar with Rogue? No, but that was part of her sort of DTV renaissance. That's a that's a, a killer lion movie that I think is on Hulu that people say is not terrible. Okay. All right. Nice. She looks compelling on the cover. Yeah. I do no want to see it, but I haven't seen it yet. No trace of Machine Gun Kelly, so I you know I don't know. I believe he plays one of the lions. <laughs> It's covered in tattoos and produces mediocre music. So I want to say it's Machine Gun Kelly. We have listeners from a number of locales. Yes. Uh, states in the American Union. Yeah. Uh, countries All over the, the world. world. Yeah. We're very, very happy to have. And if you've made it this far into the midnight in the Switch No one episode, has. God bless you. Literally but... no one has except for uh, Alec Monopoly. <laughs> Who's just waiting, waiting for to hear to our names again. one more time so he can <laughs> fucking track us down and murder us. Use the proceeds from his art to hire, <laughs> let me see here, Seth Rogen to uh, <laughs> murder us. Um, if you live in... Why Seth Rogen? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's the first name I saw. Um, if you live in, in, in proximity to Switchgrass... <laughs> Please let us know in the comments. Have we Wikipedia and Switchgrass? That could be a segment on this episode. If the show is in need of another segment. Switchgrass. Switchgrass. It's a species of plant, Panicum virgatum. There you go. Also known as Switchgrass. Native to North America, 55 degrees north latitude, uh, tall grass. It's in the prairies. Whew. So it, Hold on. So I just fell asleep. A, <laughs> I'm sorry. Is, 
I'm just I'm trying to find where the on Wikipedia where the Velociraptor subheading is. I don't see it anywhere. Uh, Apparently used used in bioenergy. Yeah, you know what's missing is like um, the section about like pop culture. Yeah, it's use in popular culture. (laughs) Because I have to believe that one of the first. I might make my first Wikipedia edit. Please do. And add a in popular culture section. Um, Do you think Jurassic Park and Midnight in the Switchgrass? Do you think... Is it Jurassic Park or Jurassic... It's The Lost World. Yeah, I was going to say it's Jurassic Park 2, yeah. It's, uh... No, it's not Pete Postlewaite. It's the guy who plays Pete Postlewaite's friend. The Dreamer. Roland. <laughs> no, um, the Dreamer dies in the waterfall. I'm sorry. Yeah, he dies. But he's the one who says, don't go into the wrong grass. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, do you, I'm looking here again at uh, Monopoly. <laughs> Alec Monopoly. Alec site. Monopoly. Alec Monopoly. Who, who it um, should be said, played himself as an audience member on America's Next Top Model. <laughs> he was. And is a suspect. Still a person of interest. Some call him suspect. Some call him tall man. Some call him street artist. He goes by many names. Um, Has he, do do we know if he's tackled switchgrass in his work? Is he, he, Mm. maybe he was inspired by the film um, to draw some, to to paint some, some switchgrass. So what you're imagining is like the Monopoly Man man in some tall grass, some switchgrass, if you will. Approximately... 1159 to 1201 p.m. Right. No, I don't think he has yet. All right. So that's an opportunity. I think if we can if we can sort of, you know, inspire, if we could suggest, yeah. if we could uh make some notions. Yeah. Um for for his next phase, kind of his next creative phase, you know. Um you know, switchgrass. I think it, it's uh, looking at it here on the Wikipedia page, it's got different colors, it's got different, you know, regions. You could draw Rocky Mountain switchgrass, you could you could paint some some Texas switchgrass. It's it's apparently just it's all over. I think uh, on this episode we have a case of the fuckarounds that could only be described as terminal, <laughs> <laughs> because not only is it going to end us, but it's going to end this podcast. It is. This is the so on this last episode. Of yeah. F this movie. Yeah, yeah. Episode uh, six ten. I appreciate everyone's listening this far. <laughs> Um, please uh, send a self-addressed stamped envelope for your prize uh, for listening this far. Send it to Alec Monopoly. <laughs> the code word is switchgrass. <laughs> I think we've come to a lot of revelations. Yeah. I think we've come to a lot of... We've learned some truths. I want to say this is the first, and, and I could be wrong about this, because I don't remember every episode of this podcast that we've done. How dare you. But this might be the first full episode devoted to a direct-to-video movie. Ooh, Now, really? we've talked about direct-to-video movies on other episodes. Right. But I don't know that we've ever done a full DTV show. I don't think... I think that's... I think that's probably true. So, again, another reason to just end it right here. Yeah. It's never going to get any better. No. We've we've come around. We've, we've, we've gone full circle. Patrick, did you watch King Richard? I have not watched King Richard yet. Fine. I'm putting it off. You I should. I don't love Will Smith enough to like subject myself to it, but I do. I will see it. Sure. Because it is an inspiring story of sure. family and tennis and shorts. And if there's one thing I love, it's shorts and tennis. 
And John Bernthal. John Bernthal's really good. I do really like John Bernthal. He was the Punisher. He was on a season of a show I never finished. Uh, which did, we, is, did, did, did we run out? Did we get to the end? We're to Netflix Daredevil. <laughs> Are we done? <laughs> so, <laughs> once you hit Netflix Daredevil, a show that I couldn't even finish, I just found myself staring at the ceiling. I, was like, I think I'm all empty. I think my brain's all done. <laughs> I'm gonna go watch Red Rocket now. A uh, better movie than Midnight in the Switchgrass. If we're if we're still playing that game. Okay. <laughs> but thank you, Rob, for talking about this movie with me. I, I apologize, and also you're welcome. <laughs> and I am rethinking my policy to let the guest pick the show. You picked this. <laughs> I did not pick Midnight in the Switchgrass. I gave you like four movies, you and you picked Midnight in the Switchgrass. Yeah, okay. Well, I presented it. Was... I presented it as an option. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But it's also and, how I end up doing shows on antitrust. Yeah. And you know what? I think it worked out for great for everyone. <laughs> they, it definitely Alec worked Monopoly. out great for Alec Monopoly because <laughs> more so people many, yeah, have so Googled Google him works. this week. <laughs> That's not true. His work has sold to, to Iggy uh, Azalea. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, the aforementioned uh, Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen, uh, who is Cyrus. coming to kill us. <laughs> <laughs> Cyrus, Snoop Dogg, Robin Thicke. The Adrian, disgrace Robin Thicke. Adrian Brody. Airstrikes Adrian Brody. Airstrikes own. Adrian Brody. A man who knows what it's like to work alongside Bruno. A man who knows what it's like to work alongside a suspect. <laughs> I would like to say that Megan Fox knows what it's like to work alongside Bruno, but she knows what it's like. To work alongside Bruno's stand-in. His stand-in. His lighting reference. <laughs> Which, to be fair, is just a shaved watermelon. A <laughs> <laughs> shaved watermelon. Do you have to shave Of course you do. Otherwise, it won't light the right I, way. You know, my, my watermelon preparation, <laughs> I've never thought to shave. And that's what I've been doing wrong all this time. Oh my Those god. Those are the last words I ever said. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys very much for listening. As always, go to fthismovie.com every day for more of this kind of shit. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> follow us on Twitter at fthismovie, Instagram. We have a YouTube page that's now more active, thanks to the hard work of Rob hey. and Adam Risky on uh, reserved seating. We actually have hey. video content. It's going well. And uh, you, <laughs> you, can, you can email us at fthismoviepodcast at gmail.com unless your name is Alec Monopoly, <laughs> in which case, please don't email us. And we're going to start a, a Patreon in which we raise money to purchase an Alec Monopoly piece. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> As an apology to this man who, <laughs> who's done nothing wrong. Who's done nothing to us. But be suspicious. And tall. Which is what he was hired to do, to be fair. It says it right there on the yeah. page. Tall man. Hey, that's me. <laughs> I'm tall. <laughs> I fit the bill. Life calls and we answer. Thanks again, Rob. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to help.
Thanks for listening to FS Movie.